0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by our Director of Spiritual Formation, Marjorie Mott.
1: Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. And he gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Amen.
0: Hey, everybody. So, I love that we are doing some more visual things this Advent, like the art. Um, This is gonna be each week of Advent. And then, as Amanda referenced, this daily devotional that you can sign up to get is also based around a key image. And honestly, I didn't even put it together until tonight. Um, Just the beauty of the cohesion that God has brought, because tonight, what what my sermon is about is about the images of God in this passage. And i want to first clarify that when i use the term images of god i'm not actually talking about visuals so it's great we have these visuals that's awesome but what i'm talking about is the word pictures the mental pictures that we get from scripture or from our own imagination interaction with god that bring god to life in a different way this passage has five images of god I could have just picked one or two, like my favorite to give, but I just didn't feel right about that. I felt like, no, there's five here for a purpose. And so we're going to go through them all. I want you to see them. Um, but first, before we get into the passage, I do want us to pause. And I want you to think. So if, if it's um, helpful for you, feel free to close your eyes. And think about what is the picture of God that comes to your mind when you have an image of God. It's usually not clear. Sometimes there's a body and there's no face. Sometimes it's a face so close that's all you see. Perhaps it's not an image like a human, but something different. What image comes to mind as you connect with God? Is there a particular member of the Trinity that you pray with most a name you use most from the Trinity? That can often reflect the image of God that we use the most, that we connect with the most. Some examples of images of God is God as Father, right? We get that directly from the Trinity, or also God as mother. There's an image of God as a quilt maker, a judge. Or perhaps the image is really more of this mental picture you've developed of sitting by a quiet stream. And so God is really the peace there that you feel sitting with that image. In my training to be a spiritual director, I've gained a lot of awareness in myself about images of God. I think that wasn't a term I was even familiar with, really, um, or hadn't thought much about until this last year. But hearing about it start getting my attention to what are my images of God. They're usually something we are unconscious of. They're things, um, words that we use to talk about God that we're not, you know, we use and maybe we're not that aware of. A beautiful thing that can happen, the power of these images of God, is that they reveal to us how we really feel about God and what we really believe about God. Something that's on a deeper level, what we actually are operating from. So in my training, I'm learning that that's one, the one version of God that we've created, but there's also the version of God that we talk about, that we, this is, what we, is the God that we espouse, that we say that we, are, that we believe in. But our images of God... But sometimes betray us and really reveal what's underneath, beyond the words about God, what really lies underneath our core belief of who God is. I want to give you an example. I have somebody that in the last year um, spent some time telling me about an image that she had feeling like the little puppy that was going to be rescued at the shelter. And we talked through this, and it was this beautiful connection that she felt to being this little puppy and this idea of being connected to somebody who would come and rescue her. That she'd feel a little um, timid and shy at first, like a little puppy, but would soon warm up to that loving presence. And it was beautiful to unpack that with her to see that awareness and that feeling of love rise up in her. But what she was unaware of was that she talked about being in a cage. And so I went back to the image and I asked, what was the cage about? Why were you in a cage? Why were you left at the shelter and abandoned? And it struck her because she like didn't even think about that, right? That wasn't even part of her conscious thought of offering this image or why this image came to her. But even months later, she spoke to that image of how much she had felt abandoned that she was unaware of. And so these images of God are powerful and can bring a truth that sometimes we are unaware of. And so tonight I want to look at the five images in this passage because they are images that show us how God operates, how God feels about us and is connecting with us. We'll see five images. First, God as lover. Then God as the way. God as breath of life. God as victor, and God as shepherd. But before we get into those, I do want to give some context to where we are in Isaiah, what is happening with the Israelites as they receive chapter 40. In Isaiah chapters 36 through 39 is the story of Israel falling into exile they're being taken over by the babylonians and they are we know that in this season of exile it is 70 years we're not 100% sure like when this passage is being given to them but you can imagine that they have been in exile for generations as they await to hear these words from chapter 40 in the the verses remember Like, the chapter breakdowns are, like, a modern thing that we were given. But earlier, verses before chapter 40 that start with uh, comfort, comfort my people, is the story of King Hezekiah and how he's having a, like, diplomatic visit with Babylonians and he goes out of pride. He shows them all of his riches and he takes them on this grand tour of what he has And Isaiah comes to him and said, why did you do this? That will all be taken from them in generations to come. And that is exactly what happened. In 2 Kings chapter 24 and 25, we are given the story and how Jerusalem comes to fall to the hands of the Babylonians. And it's pretty clear that Jerusalem's fall comes as punishment for Israel's waywardness. There were generations of kings betraying God. A common phrase used in the telling of this story was that evil was done in the eyes of the Lord. For generations and the next king, evil was done in the eyes of the Lord. And again, the next king, evil was done in the eyes of the Lord. And so this exile was their punishment. And so the audience of chapter 40, they've seen this destruction. They've seen the riches taken. They are under the rule of the Babylonians. They're still living in exile, a time of judgment and darkness, a time of suffering. A time when God says, you are no longer my people and I am no longer your God. So these words of comfort in chapter 40, they are coming after years of silence and suffering to a people in exile. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So these first words spoken out of silence and suffering is comfort. Comfort, comfort, my people. The double comfort, said twice there. And these, those first two verses are being spoken directly from God. God. This comfort is acknowledging the judgment, the punishment of sin that Israel had experienced. But we know that Israel was given the freedom to choose God or their sin, and they chose sin. And so they lived through the consequences of that choice, of choosing sin. But really beyond how much judgment they deserved or received... What this passage, what that right here, verse 2, wants to tell us is that it's complete. The penalty has been paid, that it is done. And God is saying, you are my people, and I am your God. The Israelites hear how the penalty is complete, just as we have heard that the penalty for arson has been paid for by Jesus Christ. As Romans 6 tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. What follows in this chapter are three voices of comfort. Comfort that God has commissioned. So Israel, Isaiah, sorry, puts the story of desolation right before this comfort. Because he's showing the abundance of comfort. He puts the whole Babylonian like, takeover and exile into just a couple of sentences. And then he spends a whole chapter giving comfort with three different voices. And this is to show the abundance of comfort that is to come, not just for Israel, but for us. It is pointing out that there is a story here, that there is something in plan, setting in motion, not just for Israel, but beyond. And in these three voices of comfort, each one has one or more vivid images of God. So I'm going to look at the images briefly and explain what there is to gain from these images. And then I will spend some time in silent reflection with these images because my hope tonight is that you take away one of these new vivid images of God to see through this Advent season. All right, so you ready to get into the five images? All right, so let me read again verses one and two. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her her service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Here we see God as lover, offering a hand, giving her choice. If it hasn't come to mind for you, it would have most definitely come to mind for the original audience is Hosea 2.14, as they hear, as they had heard that. Hosea 2.14 says, therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. This is a book based all on the image of God as the faithful husband and Israel as the adulterous wife and how he speaks to her tenderly in the desert, drawing her in, pursuing her. And so the image of God here is clearly given as lover, as a good partner. The image of God's outstretched hand suggests agency, suggests choice, because it says Israel receives it. She received from the Lord's hand. Again, this is a good partner who's offering choice. Choice to be in this loving relationship. Choice to receive this faithfulness. Choice to enter in to the vulnerability. This image of God. Offers a personal, intimate, vulnerable picture of God. That God accepts us as we are completely exposed and known. Verse 3 gives us the image of God as the way. A voice of one calling In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. With the fall of Jerusalem, the Israelites recognized that they lost God's presence and protection. And so this highway is a way of God returning to them, right? It says, for the glory of God will be revealed and all people will see it together. So God is offering here, promising universal revelation. That means that he's being revealed to all people, that anyone can know God. This is not just God's awesome manifestation, but it's the fullness of his presence a personal presence that's not just for israel but for us too i would argue that this image isn't just about how about setting up a space and creating a highway for god to come but that god is the way i mean we know that from the gospel right jesus is called the way that god makes a straight way in the desert he makes the rough places smooth there's an area near my parents that um, was being worked on to become a highway and never finished. Has, have any of you ever seen that? It's so weird. So here I am, like driving to my parents' house and I'm pa- passing on a road that would be going over what the highway would be, right? And, but, and, and so it's obvious that there's, the land has been changed and moved to slope down and then a nice flat place that would have been the pavement for the highway. But instead, there's grass and often animals grazing. Right? And so it's such a clear picture of how God will rearrange and will change the landscape of what's happening in our lives to provide a way that God will always make a way of comfort and presence. In verse 6, we see God as the breath of life. The voice says, this is another voice of comfort, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Here we have the image of God as breath of life. This is one of the more obvious images in this passage. It emphasizes our human fragility, our mortality, that we come and go compared to God's permanence and presence that it endures forever. Here we see God as the giver of death, that he is Let me read it again. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. We see the giver of death. But this reference should also bring to mind the creation story. The breath of God hovering over creation. And the breath of life that was given to Adam and Eve. And so we know that God is not just the giver of death, but the giver of life, offering his breath as life. Everything else God created, he commanded it with a word, and it was made. But with humans, he gave his breath, the breath of life. And even this stanza ends with the word of our Lord endures forever. That God's words endure forever. Words take breath, right? Speaking is literally changing the sound of your breath with the use of your teeth and your tongue, making sounds to form words. God gives life that he breathes into our being. Early Christians, like desert monks, use this image of God as a breath of life to reveal how there's a piece of the divine in all of us, how this is what differentiates us from all of creation and allows us to bear God's image. So just as the wind that he blows, God is present whether you notice or not. He's as near as our breath. Our fourth image, Verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. Verse 10 has this obvious, strong military language, but even before that, verse 9, this is where the original audience had um, an up on us because We don't see the image of God as clearly in verse 9 because the original language, though, was using a feminine pronoun to describe you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. And so with that feminine pronoun, they would have remembered and recalled and brought to mind Miriam and her and the ladies singing and dancing, going up on that mountain, rejoicing as they've just seen the Egyptians taking over. by the the Red Sea. They would have remembered how they were celebrating God's victory, God's presence with them and faithfulness. Verse 10 shows God with a mighty arm, a reward and recompense, language that brings to mind victory, power and strength. But it is quickly followed by the image of God as the gentle shepherd. We see he's mighty, but he's not ruthless. This is power that is working by love, even as a victorious warrior.
1: The battle is his
0: and he will win and rule Now imagine what it would have been like for the original audience, the Israelites, to hear this. To hear that he was a victorious ruler, that he was a victor, that he would succeed after they're living under others ruling over them for 70 years. To hear that he is coming with a mighty arm, that he is strong and he will succeed. What relief. What hope. the fifth image that we end with, with verse 11. Another very obvious one that he's giving us here. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. God as shepherd. God as shepherd is specifically focusing here on how he cares gently and attentively, specifically to the young lambs. It's using the words, tends, gathers in his arms, carries close to his heart, gently leads. We see that God is nurturing, that he's providing a care that is unique and specific to their name. Just as a shepherd, that he's always nearby watching over us to keep us from danger. Jesus has fulfilled this message. The meaning of these images were not just for Israel, but they're for us too. Alec Motler says the Lord has an interim plan for the consolation of his exiles in Babylon. But he also has a second plan, bringing his word and salvation to them and to the whole world. It's clear that this plan is bigger than them. Bigger than what they will ever see. We see how the plan Isaiah was alluding to was Christ and his coming. We see that in how this one chapter, Isaiah 40, is the one that each gospel writer uses to talk about Jesus and introduce his ministry. The only chapter in Isaiah that is used by all four authors. So these images, they're not just for Israel, but they're for you. That this is who Jesus is for us as we await his second coming, as we await Christmas and we celebrate his coming. So when we feel like we are in exile, when we are in a season of suffering and silence, we can draw hope from these images of comfort. So what does God say to us through these images? He's telling us that he is faithful and accepting like a good lover, that he is the way. He always provides a way through the hard and through the rough places of our lives. He does reveal himself to each person. God is telling us that he is as permanent as the air present, whether you notice him or not. He's telling us that he is strong and powerful, like a victorious warrior. And he's telling us that he's gentle and caring, like a shepherd. Offering the specific care needed. And there to carry you when needed. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.